Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. For free resources and free messages, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or call us for more information at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Okay, so getting ready to, if you want to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 14, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much that you have given to us such a marvelous record in your word. Lord, we pray that as we open your word today, that you'd help us, help us to see wondrous things out of your word, out of your law. Help us, Lord, to agree with what we read and understand, and help us, Lord, to change, to be in accordance with your Bible. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, now, uh, so if you follow along here in Genesis chapter 14, as I read here the first 14 verses, and it came to pass in the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Ario, king of Eleazar, Kedor Loomer, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of nations, that these made war with Bera, king of Sodom, and with Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Adma, and Shemeber, king of Zobim, and the king of Bela, which is Zoar. Not bad, huh? <laughs> as long as they don't have too many syllables in it, I'll get through it. <laughs> and these were joined together in the vale of Sidon, which is the Salt Sea. Twelve years they served Kedeloamir, and in the thirteenth year they rebelled. And in the fourteenth year came Kedeloamir, and the kings that were with him, and smote the Rephaims in Ashtaroth, Kanaim, and the Zuzims in Ham, and the Emims in Sheva, and Kiriathaim. And the Horites in their Mount Seir unto El Paran, which is by the wilderness. And they returned and came to En Mishvat, and which is Kadesh, and smote all the country of the Amalekites, and also the Amorites that dwelt in Hazion Tamar. And there went out the king of Sodom, and the king of Gomorrah, and the king of Adma, and the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, with the same as Zoar. And they joined battle with them in the vale of Sidon with Kedeloamir, the king of Elam, and with title king of nations, and Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Ariok, king of Eleazar, four kings with five. And the vale of Sidon was full of slime pits, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, and fell there, and, there, and they that remained fled to the mountain. And they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah, and all their victuals, and went their way. And they took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom, and his goods, and departed. And there came one that escaped and told Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt in the plain of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eshcol and, and uh, brother of Anar. And these were confederate with Abram. And when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. Okay, now, we have seen, so far as we have been progressing here, we've seen a domestic situation which happened in uh, chapter 13, and now we're coming on to a military situation in chapter 14. So what we saw, because this is really a history about Abraham and Lot, is that what we saw in chapter 13 was that there was these external circumstances that led to this strife, this quarrel, this fight between Abraham and Lot. And the reason we saw that in chapter 13, verse 7, was because there was a problem, and that was the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled in the land. So long before Abraham and Lot ever arrived in the land of Canaan there, the Canaanite and the Perizzite were the first. They were there. 
And they held the majority of the land, and as for the land that was by the Mediterranean Sea, they had the best pasture land. And that made a bad situation for Abraham and Lot. That was not a good thing. And there would have been enough land for Abraham and Lot if it wasn't for those pesky Canaanites and Perizzites. They're always getting in the way. And they were there on the land, you know. And so those were external circumstances that were out of the control of Abraham and Lot, and they presented a problem, and God knew that it would be a problem for Abraham and Lot. And nevertheless, God led Abraham and Lot into this situation and into this problem because God was interested in putting a trial in front of Abraham and Lot to see what would Abraham do. Lot also, for that matter. I mean, you know, Abraham could have said, God knew that there was not enough land for my flock and Lot's flocks to be here. So why did God lead us to this place where the Canaanite and the Perizzite had already taken the best land? I mean, why did God give me and Lot all these flocks in the first place? Because they caused all this problem. And the answer to those questions was that it was purposeful on God's part because God would be glorified, which he was, if Abraham, and Lot for that matter too, if they honored God in the trial. Then there's a verse that's always bothered me, to be honest, and it's in Matthew 4, 1, where it says, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. That's what it says. So that verse says that the Lord Jesus was led by the Spirit of God to be tempted of the devil. The Lord taught us, he taught us in Matthew 6, 13, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So we're to pray to not be led into temptation because there's no picnic to be tempted. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't lead into temptation. And when he does lead into temptation, that's where the next part, this is what I finally understood, that's where the next part of that verse is important. But deliver us from evil. So in other words, Lord, if you do lead me into temptation, if you do lead us into temptation, then deliver us from falling in the temptation. Help us, Lord, to honor you, deliver us from the evil of dishonoring you. And Lord, you can help us, you can help me, you can help us by strengthening us to honor you so that we won't fall into sin and we'll glorify you, see? So how do we know, how do we know that God can strengthen us to not fall into temptation? Because thine is the power and the glory forever in the kingdom. So why did God lead the Lord Jesus into be tempted of the devil? So he could glorify God. So the Lord Jesus could glorify God by depending on him and keeping him from yielding to the temptation. And why did God lead Abraham to a place where there just wasn't enough pasture land, there wasn't enough grazing land for the flocks? Why did he lead him this temptation so there'd be this quarrel, this fight with Lot, so that Abraham, or Lot, focus on Abraham, could glorify God by depending on God and keeping him from the temptation of fighting. So God led Abraham into this temptation in order for Abraham to glorify God by depending on him and keeping him from yielding to the temptation to have it out with Lot. And that's the best way for us to view this situation. We find ourselves in a similar situation. We're in a tough situation, and the temptation comes down to one question. All temptation comes down to one question. The temptation of Joseph with uh, Potiphar's wife, same thing. 
Will I honor God by my actions or will I dishonor God by my actions? So it just boils down to that simple part. Will I glorify God by honoring him or will I bring shame to God's name by dishonoring him by my actions? Now, we saw also how God revealed, God really revealed to Abraham. You know, the promises of God to Abraham were a revelation that God made to Abraham of what he would do. You know, we look at the promises that are to Abraham, and it's all about, I will, I will, I will. I will give you this land, I will make your seed to increase. It's all about those I wills in Genesis 13, 15 through 17. We saw that, for all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that a man can number dust of the earth, and your seed will be numbered. Rise, walk through the land in the length of it and the breadth of it, for I will give it to you. So, in these promises, God is revealing the work that he's going to do that involved Abraham. So God's going to do a work. He's going to give the land to Abraham. That's a work. He's going to give the land to Abraham. God's going to do a work. He's going to make Abraham seed as the dust of the earth. That's a work. He's going to give the land to Abraham. God's going to increase Abraham's seed. That's all God's work. And not only Abraham was listening and was interested in those works of God that he was going to do, but the one who always opposes the works of God. Satan, he's also very interested and listening to what God's works are going to be. So when Satan hears that God is telling Abraham that his work is going to center on this land and on his seed, then what happens? He sets out, Satan sets out to oppose the work of God Then that work to give the land to Abraham to increase the seed. He sets out and he mounts a pointed attacks on the two works that God has said or revealed that he's going to do. The work of giving the land to Abraham and the work of increasing Abraham's seed. So it's not by accident that Satan stirs up Lot to fight with Abraham over what? Land. The land that God is going to give. So we see, we found in the last chapter that Lot is fighting with Abraham for the land that God had promised to give to Abraham. And that was a pointed attack by Satan on God's work to give the land to Abraham. Satan was behind Lot's jealousy over the land that God had promised to Abraham. And it was not by accident that Egyptian eyes fell on Sarah and they told Pharaoh, this woman is an absolute knockout. Drop dead gorgeous. <laughs> That's funny. I got like that term, drop dead gorgeous. <laughs> I went to go stay with my friend Avi Zer in Jerusalem, and his daughter was away. So he gave me her, he said, you can sleep in her bedroom. But I went into her, her bathroom there, and she had taken a lipstick, and she wrote on the mirror, drop dead gorgeous. <laughs> Never forgot that anyway. <laughs> so. Uh, Sorry about that. It's total diversion. All right, so this woman was just beautiful. And so the Egyptians saw that, and they said, you've got to take this woman for wife. Satan was behind those Egyptians lusting over Sarah that had been promised to be used to increase Abraham's seed. So when we recognize how Sarah attacked Abraham in the exact areas that God had promised to work, 
then we're doing what Paul told us to do in 2 Corinthians 2.11, where he talked about, don't let Satan get an advantage over you. And then he said, we are not ignorant of his devices, of his strategies. We're not dumb with regard to what Satan is doing. And so Satan's devices, Satan's strategies, in this point on Abraham was to attack Abraham where God was wanting to do a great work. Now, Abraham could have said, he could have walked into that and said, I don't know what's going on around here. Boy, I just, my life, I've got trials and tribulations, and I can't make heads or tails of what's happening to me. He could have gone through it that way. Or, if he was doing like Paul said, not under his advices, Abraham could have said, aha, God has promised. He said, I could have said, I got it. God has promised to do a work of increasing my seed. So it's not by accident that there's this an attack on my wife and my marriage through which God is going to use to increase my seed. And then he could have said, when he was in Egypt, he could have said, I'll bet the next trouble I'm going to have is over that land that God promised to me. I know that's coming next. Because the principle that we see here is that the devil attacks where God is wanting to do a great work. So when we have trouble in our home, it might well be that God is wanting to do a great work through our family, through our home. And Satan knows that, so he's attacking the home where God is wanting to do a great work. We have trouble at work. It may be that God is wanting to do a great work through us at our workplace. And Satan knows that, so he's mounting a pointed attack at our work where God is wanting to do a great work. Now, what we have in chapter 13 is what we saw in chapter 13 was this, we had a very unique opportunity to observe inside Abraham's home. And we've had a chance to see Abraham in his daily uh, family life. And we've seen that Abraham was a real person. I mean, Abraham was in his daily life the same person that Abraham was in his worship life. He was the same person. He didn't act like an angel when he was in his worship life and then act like a devil in his home life. And in that way, Abraham is a great example to us. Because here we're going to see great leadership on Abraham's part in this chapter 14. As we've seen great leadership in chapter 13, where we've had a very, very trying situation. A fight in the home, an argument in the home, a quarrel in the home, a domestic argument. And it guides us. What we saw Abraham do is guiding to us. Because we saw that in the home, Abraham first, number one, before anything else, he recognized how serious a fight is in the home, how serious an argument is, how serious a quarrel is. And he said that in Genesis 13.8 when he said, let there be no strife. This was like Abraham saying, God forbid, we cannot have this strife. Whatever it costs, we will not have this strife. An argument in the home he saw as a very, very serious situation. Number two, we saw that Abraham had a guiding principle behind what he did. And that was in Genesis 13, 8, when he said, we be brethren, we be brethren. That was like a motto of his, we be brethren. And then number three, Abraham had a course of action. That he didn't only know the course of action, but he did it. And it involved him humbling himself, as we've seen, giving in to Lot, letting Lot take whatever he wanted in order to keep peace in the home. No strife. And he followed his course of action. 
And that's a, that's a separate thing. You know, he not only knew what to do, but he did it. This separation of knowing what to do and then following through to do it was pointed out to us by the Lord Jesus in John 13, 17, when he said, if ye know these things, happy are you if ye do them. He didn't say, if you know these things, you're very happy. <laughs> he said, if you know them and do them, you're happy. So not only did Abraham know what to do in the home to restore peace, but he did it. And so often, we know what we should do, but we don't do it. And that's why the Lord Jesus said that the happiness does not come from the knowing, the happiness comes from the follow-through, from the doing it. You know, that's why, of all the traffic signs that we have out there, of all the ones that I very rarely obey, no, I shouldn't say that, but anyway, (laughs) there's one that has a great spiritual value to us and reminds us of this situation. It's the sign, yield, yield. Yield, you know, you're in your car and you're going to get there. <laughs> you're not going to let that anybody else get. And the sign says, don't do that. The sign says, yield, yield. And that's exactly what Abraham did. He yielded. He yielded to Lot. He let Lot go first. He yielded to his younger Lot. And when God saw that Abraham yielded to Lot, God says, bravo, Abraham, bravo. Great job. Because God was so pleased with what Abraham did that he could have said to Abraham, Abraham, don't worry about the matter of the land with Lot. I'll work it out later. And and did he? You just did the right thing, Abraham, because you sacrificed for the sake of peace. That honors me. And God loves to see this because this is Psalm 133 in action, where it says, behold, maybe that's the most important word in that whole verse in Psalm 133.1. Behold, how good, how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Behold, we can look at that word behold and we can, we can look at that word as if God from heaven is looking down and he says to the angels, hey, do you guys see this? Behold that. Look at that. Look at that down there in that home, in that church, in that office. Look how good and how pleasant it is. Do you see it? It's brethren dwelling together in unity. That's something. So behold that. Or we can look at that verse as if we're talking to God and we're saying to God, Lord, look here, Lord. Look here. Behold. Because this man, he said something very contentious to me. Or he said something behind my back. Or do you know what she took that was not hers? or he did something wrong and so forth, but we just dropped it. We just let it go. We just dropped it. We just said, why? Because, Lord, we want to make a beautiful scene for you to look. Behold, Lord, how good it is for brethren who normally don't live together in peace. But now they are. It's good and it's pleasant. We're dwelling together in unity. Do you see that, Lord? So that's why Abraham humbled himself. And that's why he put himself on the same level, the elder, the same level as Lot when he said, we be brethren. And then in verse 14 of chapter 13, it's interesting how it reads. It says, the Lord said unto Abraham after Lot was separated from him, lift up now thine eyes and look. And we just think about those words, after Lot was separated from him. You know, if we just freeze that scene, freeze that picture of Lot having just left Abraham, pushed him away, he's off to go get, he's got land, he's got, he's got a lot of stuff to do, Lot. He's, he's got best land, leave the worst for Abraham. And we can feel with Abraham. This has been a pretty hard sequence of events in Mr. Abraham's life. This has not been easy. He's been stressed. He's been stressed because he was a stress when Pharaoh rightly rebuked him and said, you were wrong. 
It was a stress for him to be ashamed. It wasn't a private rebuke. He was ashamed in front of all of his people, maybe a thousand people in his group, I don't know. It was a stress for him when Lot challenged him and then separates. And Abraham has this, must have this feeling of failure. You know, he failed himself to be a man of God. He failed Sarah to be her protector. He failed Lot to be an example of what a man of God should be in Egypt. And worst of all, Abraham has failed God to honor him. And so now, with Lot leaving Abraham, he feels this deep, empty feeling of the loss and the shame and also, and he feels he has lost Lot. As he wonders, is he ever going to have an influence on him again? He's lost his testimony by lying and endangering Sarah. He's lost the land that God gave him by letting Lot take it from him. And Lot takes the land, and he feels that he's lost God's promise, maybe, to give him the land. And as Abraham looks at Sarah, things aren't exactly the same, because he realizes that he is such a loser that he just nearly lost Sarah, his wife. And if he had lost her, he feels like he would have lost that promise of God, too, of increasing the seed. So he feels all this. He feels like a loser and a loser that's alone. He feels alone, so alone, so isolated. Who's he going to talk to? And he must, have prayed, he must have really felt at this time pretty alone. Now, with that scene of Abraham feeling all alone, you add in now the next part of the verse in Genesis 13, 14. And the Lord said unto Abram, after that lot was separated from him. So you freeze that scene, you add that part to it. Abraham's feeling all alone, and God speaks to him in his aloneness, or through his aloneness, or penetrating his aloneness. Can you see that scene? I mean, this is Abraham, he's all alone, and his aloneness, God speaks to him. That's a very, very important scene. That's a scene that's a classic scene that God wants us to have of Abraham. If you want to turn to it, but you remember it, Isaiah 51, 2, where God says, look unto Abraham, look at Abraham, your father, and unto Sarah that bear you, for I called him alone and blessed him and increased him. That's the picture God wants us to have in our minds of Abraham. I called him alone. You know, God is asking the Jewish people, look at Abraham, and God says to the Jewish people, look out to Abraham, your father, and then you say, okay, what are we supposed to see, God? So it's like God picks up the photo album of the, you know, the Abraham's life, and he's flipping through the pages, you know, <laughs> and he's trying to find the picture that he's going to blow up, and he's going to put over the fireplace, right? <laughs> over the mantle, and say, this is your father, Abraham. You know how that goes? Anyway, so he's going through each photo in Abraham's um, photo album, and we're all wondering which is the one that he's going to pull out and put up over. And he pulls this one, and he says, now this is your father Abraham. So, you know, think about the process. You know, is God going to pull out the photo of Abraham conquering, as we're going to see, five kings in chapter 14? And everybody says, that'd be a good picture to put up of him there. And with that photo, or how about the one where he in bravery, he's going to sacrifice Isaac? We can have that picture of Abraham. So which picture is God going to choose of Abraham to put over the fireplace so that the Jewish people come by and they say, look at that, that's your father Abraham. There he is right there. And it's this picture. It's a picture that's like this with a title under the picture that says, I called Abraham alone. That's the picture. He says, look unto Abraham your father. So God says to the Jewish people, they need to see Abraham all alone. 
And when he was alone, then they need to see, I called him. So why does God want to put that picture over the fireplace? You all understand that it doesn't say in the Bible that he wanted to put it over the fireplace, right? <laughs> That's just, doesn't matter. Anyway, so God called Abraham when he was all alone, when he felt all alone, and any Jewish person who comes to God, who comes to Jehovah Jesus, who comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, he will, take it from me, feel all alone. All alone. The Bible calls that person an outcast of Israel because he's all alone. He's separated from his Jewish people. He is alone. And just like Abraham, God will call that person alone and gather him up as an outcast of Israel. And this is what he said in Psalms 147:2: the Lord doth build up Jerusalem. He gathereth together the outcasts of Israel. And in Isaiah 56, 8, the Lord God, which gathereth the outcasts of Israel, saith, yet will I gather others to him besides those that are gathered to him. That's a great verse. Take time to look at it later. Isaiah 56, 8, because it's a verse that describes the church. Thank you for listening to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. If you would like to hear more of this message or other messages by Tom Cantor, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or go to itunes.com and search for the Friendship with God podcast. All messages are cataloged by date and all available for free listening and free download. You can also call us directly for more information at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Join the Creation Earth History Museum for our 10th Annual Museum Day Family Festival, Saturday, September 26th. Hi, this is Jason Payne, museum curator. I want to personally invite you and your families to a free, fun-filled event, including new exhibits, testimonies from leading scientific experts, meet NASA astronaut Colonel Jeffrey Williams, and many others. Activities for the entire family. So join us Saturday, September 26th from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Go online to learn more at creationsd.org or call 619-599-1104. 619-599-1104.